0: Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30 day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice from Audible.com. President Obama's trip to Israel, what did he accomplish? Let's ask a senior fellow for Middle Eastern Studies, Elliot Abrams. Elliot, welcome to the show. So glad to have you.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here. Can I tell you a story about that photo of Arafat? Please do. Okay. That horrible photo of Arafat blown up to super larger-than-life size was always behind, for years and years, always behind the podium there in Ramallah. And every time there was a press conference, you know, you'd have to stand in front of it. We finally got them to put up a blue curtain instead. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't cover up the chairman, Arafat. And so one of our guys got very smart and said, no, 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 we're not covering up, we're lifting him. So they put him up at about you know 10 feet height. So if your camera is straight on, you know, looking in the face of, say, the president, right? then you don't see Arafat. But if your camera is a little down below the platform, so it's pointing up, then behind the speaker you see his ugly face once again. Uh, we tried. We tried.
0: Well, thank you for that context. We appreciate that. That puts it to so someone in perspective. But I will say that, and, and you tell me, uh, Elliot Abrams, if I'm wrong, that there seems to be a general perception that President Obama's view overall is that there's an imbalance of power, that Israel has had too much support, it has too much power, and that the Palestinians don't have enough support and enough power. Number one, do you agree that that is the view of the White House? And number two, do you think the White House is right?
1: I think, uh, first, that is the view of the White House. certainly was when the president started four years ago. I have to say, I think it's still his view, but I think he's kind of given up. I was struck by the degree to which, in this trip, he kind of ate four years of words. You know, four years ago he was saying the Israeli settlements are illegitimate. Now they're not illegitimate, they're just not constructive, they're not helpful. Right. Um, four years ago he was saying the Palestinians should not go to negotiations unless there's a total freeze on construction in the settlements and in Jerusalem. Now he goes to tell the Palestinians, well, look, why don't you just go to the table, you know, nobody should have preconditions, just start negotiating. So he has certainly moved his public rhetoric, whatever he thinks, behind the scenes.
0: Um, It's interesting to watch the way that President Obama was greeted in Israel, where, you know, here in the United States, the storyline is there's a lot of tension, and yet he looked, I I remember the old rock star days, Elliot. In fact, I think at that college gathering, there may have been some actual swooning going on, and then he gets to the uh, uh, Palestinian Authority, and it's 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 the kind of uh, less than warm welcome that, say, a George W. Bush might expect to receive.
1: Well, you know, I, you're absolutely right, but the reason is the nature of the audience. You said you use the word students, and you're right. That was not a cross section of Israelis. Uh, that was a selected, carefully selected group of students who are, you know, obviously more inclined to swoon than people who were Forty or fifty years old. So, uh, what the average Israeli thinks, we really don't know. I mean, we'll we'll get some opinion polls in the next few days, and it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure that the president moved some Israelis, but uh-huh. how many? The average Israeli is not twenty years old and was not sitting in that audience, swooning at Barack Obama's rock star
0: speech. Uh, let me ask you about the decision to speak there, as opposed to say the Knesset. Was there anything? that the president didn't do that surprises you as far as public appearances or meeting with people, and was there anything that he chose to do that you were a little surprised by?
1: Well, uh, you picked out the first one. Uh, the President Bush spoke to the Knesset, and that's normally what you do. You know, People come here, they speak to a joint session of Congress. When the president goes abroad, you speak to the Knesset, you speak to Parliament in London. And uh, I think it was striking that the president seemed to want to avoid Israel's elected officials and speak to a group of students. I think right. the White House carefully decided you know we want people who will swoon we want we want youngsters um, So that was that was the first thing. I think for the rest of the trip again what he did was to make up for errors in his 2009 trip to Cairo where he spoke to the Islamic world, he basically said uh, Israel's a product of the Holocaust period that's why they're there. So on this trip, he had to eat those words. And right. so he went to the grave of the founder of Zionism, Theodor Herzl. He went to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, meaning, you know, the Jews have been there for 3,000 years. He said immediately upon landing, Jews have been here for 3,000 years. So all of this was meant to counteract the mistakes he made four years ago.
0: Uh, the decision to go to Jordan, uh, what, what are the ramifications of that? What is, put it in a geopolitical context for us, if you can.
1: Right. I think that's very smart for him to go to Jordan. Um, The Jordanians have been good allies of the United States, really, for decades. They are suffering now. They have 400,000 Syrian refugees. So their economy is suffering from that. They're good allies of Israel. That's why you never hear about any terrorist attacks going across the Jordan River. Um, They're quite worried about what's going on in Syria and the rest of the so-called Arab Spring. So for the president to go and just kind of reassert look, we're allies, we're we're in this together, I think was a smart thing to do that the king will appreciate. And the Israelis uh, will appreciate.
0: I, when, when I look at the uh, hectoring from the left in the United States towards Israel, you need to make Peace. And, you know, President Obama said in his speech to the college kids, I urge you to, in essence, go past your politicians and make peace. I always ask the same question. Maybe I'm, I'm naive. Maybe I'm a clueless American denied you know, international media access, but I always ask, who are you going to make peace with? While the president was there, the rockets were still flying. You listen to the sermons, whether the sermons are being given in Egypt or being given in Hezbollah-controlled Lebanon that call for the destruction of Israel and the death to Jews. I, I, I have no problem. I, I can see for you know, ex-husbands and ex-wives making peace, <laughs> Elliot. I can see you know, former enemies making peace. You know, America with Japan and Germany after the war. But how do you make peace with a guy while he's holding the rock, getting ready to throw it at you?
1: Well, uh, you know, I think you're right in the sense that that speech about how it's important to make peace, you have to make peace, the future peace. That speech should have been given in Ramallah, not in Jerusalem. Uh, he himself acknowledged that the Israelis have several times made very generous peace offers, um, and which were rejected by the Palestinians. So why make the peace speech in Israel? Why not make it in Ramallah? They're the ones who've got to make the tough decision to say yes. Um, I thought that was kind of odd. Although, you know, I have to say, when he told the Palestinians to um, – you, you guys need to go back to the table without preconditions, um, body language speaks. There weren't a lot of smiles on the faces in Ramallah.
0: If there were a development that the average American trying to keep an eye on the Middle East should keep, a, keep, keep an eye on, what would you suggest it be?
1: Syria right now. I mean, this is really the question. How many more people are going to die? How many more hundreds of thousands of refugees – um, and the jihadis that 's the thing I worry about most um, for two years of American passivity, those jihadis have been gathering and gathering in Syria. There are about five thousand of them now. Where are they going next? What are they going to do? Which country are they going to attack uh, that 's the thing i 'd really keep my eye on uh,
0: The uh, issue of chemical weapons in syria it 's kind of confusing to see people, in essence, arguing, trying to find a way to argue that they're not being used. What do you think is the real status? Have the rebels used them? Have the Syrians used them? Or are they trying to uh, uh, make, a, uh, make, make, make us believe that the other guys used them because they know that whoever uses them will face the uh, wrath of the West?
1: Well, uh, the latest I've seen is that nobody did use them, okay. um, that the rebels didn't and that the government didn't. The rebels don't have them. Um, There are lots of them in the hands of the government, and here I thought the president was weak. He said something like, uh, it's unacceptable to use chemical weapons, and people who do will be held accountable. Held accountable, what does that mean? You know, trials in The Hague 15 years from now? I think the president should have been tougher in making sure that the Syrian government knows if they ever use chemical weapons, we will organize some kind of uh, military punishment of the people who use them. Uh, I wish he'd been tougher on that. Maybe maybe he was in private. I hope so.
0: Uh, Elliot Abrams, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it and your analysis. So the next time I see a photo from the Palestinian Authority, if I I zoom back enough, if I pan out enough, eventually I'll see Arafat's smiling face. Is that what you're telling us? Yes, so
1: don't do it. So don't do it.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. And thanks to audible.com for their special offer a 30 day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Be sure to check out the special offer from audible.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.